One of my aims on wellbeing is to bring you not only up-to-date news on some of medical conditions which confront us in everyday living, but to bring you stories of achievements in areas of medical help from other sources. Today is one of those days, and the story today is about Mercy Ships. Hello and welcome to the program. My guests today are Hazel Budd, New South Wales State Representative for Mercy Ships Australia, and her husband Alan. Before he retired, Alan worked in the port of Newcastle for many years as a marine engineer and a ship surveyor. Both of you, thank you very much for coming in. It's lovely to have you here in the studio. Exactly what are Mercy Ships? Iris, Mercy Ships is an international Christian humanitarian organisation which uses ships to take hope and healing to some of the poorest countries in the world. Where did the original idea come from? Well, it all started back when our founder, Don Stevens, was with a youth group down in the Bahamas and they were there when a tornado struck and devastated the place. While they were they were there, they were hiding in an old um, ex-British Air Force hangar. And one of them in the party was praying and she said, if only a ship would come with supplies and medical equipment to help us. And that message has stayed with Don mm. until 1978 when he was in Switzerland, he was working there and he had friends who were in shipping and they pointed him in the direction of a ship which they thought might suit his purpose. So that was where he got the idea from. But where did the first ship actually come from? Well, that was where they, uh, he found the first ship. Yeah. And it was in Venice. Mm. It was an old rusty passenger ship called the Victoria, mm. which used to come out to Australia as a passenger ship. But it was ready for the breaker's yard. So Don's friends... Uh, supported him, uh, helped him to get a mortgage for a million US dollars to buy it, and then the work began. A million dollars American in those days was was a fortune. Exactly. So how he raised the money with the help of friends and a mortgage. That's right. How did he see himself paying that back? Well, he was working with a youth group, mm. Youth with a Mission, all volunteers, mm. and they took this ship into a Greek uh, shipyard and for the next four years, the volunteers, with money coming in slowly, they managed to uh, finish the ship enough, just enough, to sail it out of the shipyard. But during that time, it was really tough, really tough times. They were short of money. They just had to wait for donations to come in. There were times that they didn't have much food, times when they could only run the generator for one hour a day because they didn't have enough fuel for it. Mm. And so it was extremely yeah, tough. It certainly sounds that way. So how long have the ships been working? There are more than one ship? Uh, there have been over the years. Mm. Um, we have had actually had four ships, uh, which Alan might like to tell you about. Yeah. Uh, but the ship that we have now is the Africa Mercy. And she is the biggest non-governmental hospital ship in the world. And she's working on the west coast of Africa. She's dedicated to Africa. Uh, the countries there are so poor that they could just stay there forever mm. going to those countries. Mm. So she has six operating theatres and an 80-bed 
hospital ward. And wow. she'll stay in a country for 10 months of the yeah. year. Yeah. The other two months is when she goes for a survey. And then she goes into the next country for 10 months. During that time, they can perform many, many oh, operations. certainly sounds like it. So how do they find out the areas that really need the help? Does the organisation have someone ashore, if you like, who then comes back to the organisation and says, look, things are really tough in wherever, this is a place we can help? You know, how, does it, how do you find the places? Well, this is looked after by our Interna- International Operations Centre in Garden Valley in mm. Texas. Mm. Uh, they control all the operations and they uh, can use the World Health Organisation Index for the poorest countries in the world, but it is by invitation from the country to go there. So when Mercy Ships decides that that is the, the place that's uh, in greatest need, mm. uh, they will decide to go in there at the invitation of the government. And then they will set up a protocol with that government and that will give them free wharfage for the 10 months they're going to be there, mm. uh, pilotage, um, towage, what, those kind of services, uh, plus um, services to the ship such as fresh water mm-hmm. and communication and security. Security is very, very important in those countries. One of the questions I was going to ask you was how do you go or how does the organisation go um, regarding government permission, if you like, Um, but I guess you've told me that by them inviting them in. Do they ever need to approach a government or, or similar body for permission to go in without invitation? They wouldn't go anywhere without being Mm. invited and the need is so great in those countries that those countries are begging Mercy Ships Mm. to go in. Mm. They've never been where they haven't been invited. They've never been anywhere where they haven't been asked, will you please come back? And that happened in Liberia last year. The year before, uh, they're only going to be there for the one year, but uh, Madame Salif, the president, um, asked them, please come back. And so they delayed their, their, their country they were going into next to stay there. Uh, Liberia and Sierra Leone had both been through 14 years of civil war, uh, during which time all the infrastructure was destroyed. And so both those countries uh, just required so much aid. But what they do is they have a program mm. where they know where they're going. Uh, last year was Liberia. This year they're in Benin. Next year they'll be in Guinea Mm -hmm. and the year after I think they'll be back in Sierra Leone. So they have about four countries lined up where they're going Mm. to. We know now how they find the countries. How do the people in the countries find out the ship's coming? The word goes out when they know the Mercy ship is coming. Uh, It'll go out by radio. It'll go out through the churches and the clinics. It'll go out by word of mouth. So by the time the ship arrives, there could be 5,000 people waiting, lined up in an arena or a stadium, somewhere where they can, and they'll be in line and no one will step out of that line. They'll wait for three or four days to in that queue. We see in the news and those sorts of things some of the conditions, terrible conditions these people live in. 
but I think it's it's very difficult in this day and age here in in Australia for us to imagine people just standing around because it must be fairly hot and uncomfortable. It's extremely hot. Yeah. Uh, when the medical team go out to screen all those people, they screen individually. The first thing they look for are babies uh, because they don't want the babies being left out in the sun any longer mm. than necessary. Mm. And so they, those that they can't help, they send away. And then they look for people who will need the most urgent operations, uh, people who will need more than one operation and will have to stay in the hospital for a while. They'll get the earliest appointment cards and then the minor ones will go towards the end of their stay. You're listening to Wellbeing and we're talking about Mercy Ships today. Alan, if we can talk with you for a, a little while about the, the ships themselves. Hazel tells me there's only one ship in service at the present time. How are they fitted out? Well, the, the um, Africa Mercy is fitted out to world-class standard, uh, and she's really a, um, a, a real gem in that, that sort of situation. When you say how are they fitted out, how are they fitted out technically or how are they fitted out surgically? Both. Surgically, um, you'll find the, um, the six operating theatres and the uh, 80-bed hospital on Africa Mercy uh, equivalent to anything we've got here. We have equipment on the ship that um, you'll find in any hospital here. We actually have uh, a unit on the, um, the Africa Mercy, which is, I understand, rather unique, which we call a cool scope, which allows the, um, the surgeons, uh, when they're operating on somebody with a suspected uh, malignant tumour to uh, take a, uh, a sample, mm-hmm. put it onto this electronic machine and uh, in real time this then goes uh, to uh, Bristol to a laboratory there who will then inspect it and analyse it and come back while the, uh, the chaps on board are, are waiting for the answer. They get the answer and act appropriately. But uh, yeah, we have the, the best of operating equipment there. But um, yeah, she she is really a a, a great delight to uh, to be on and and see uh, what's been done. Uh, it was a uh, an ex-rail ferry. It was uh, between uh, Odense and Copenhagen. There's a strip of water there, the uh, the store belt, and she carried trains. And uh, a lady bought it for us, Anne Glogue. Uh, she paid four million pounds sterling for it, and uh, at a cost of some thirty million pounds. We converted it in um, Newcastle on Tyne uh, into this uh, magnificent ship. We carry 450 people on board. We have schools on board. We have uh, all the amenities that uh, a, a, a volunteer group should have. They're not missionaries in the old mm. days going out into the jungle and that sort of thing. Uh, they're protected uh, against the elements and they're protected against any terrorism if there's any uh, problem there we just slip the lines and up out to sea yeah we're well protected there that's africa mercy now she is is our uh, showpiece virtually and one and only mm. at the moment although we have a very good one on the board on the drawing board but uh, if you would like me to go into the history of the of the ships i, I would do that i will but before you do that the the medical equipment the surgical equipment do you buy that, or is that donated? Well, a lot of it's donated. As, as you know, hospitals are upgrading the whole time, but also we have uh, a lot of very generous uh, uh, corporations who donate this equipment. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, cool scope that I mentioned was about £20,000 worth. It was donated by Sony, if I remember rightly. 
Rotary of uh, Great Britain and, it, and uh, Ireland, uh, they donated quite a lot of uh, equipment. Um, and so the list goes on. Johnson & Johnson regularly donate a million dollars worth a year. Isn't that wonderful? So uh, th- there's a tremendous yeah. uh, support internationally for mm. equipment and, and for money. Let's go back to the ships themselves. You were saying that the Africa Mercy started off as a, a rail carrier, a train carrier. Mm. What sort of work has to be done to convert it just on the physical side of the ship from taking trains to setting it out into wards and theatres? Well, in one word, lots. <laughs> <laughs> um, it started off, um, the ship was uh, bought in 1999, taken across to uh, Newcastle-on-Tyne uh, to Camel Laird's Yard, and uh, this, this was one of the most reputable yards in England. And unfortunately, 12 months into the contract, uh, they were uh, dudded, for want of a better term, by an Italian cruise line, and so they went broke. Uh, and in so doing, they took a million pounds of our money, um, which yeah, mm. unfor- that was unfortunate. But they also cost us a couple of years, mm. um, delayed the process. And um, so it was renegotiated with another firm, uh, still in the same area, and the, the cost went up considerably, as, you, as I just mentioned, 30, mm. uh, 30 million pounds sterling. So, yes, there was a lot of work. We uh, In the train deck, which was 5.3 metres deep, uh, and they had 600 metres of train in it. Uh, we put a, an intermediate deck through there which accommodated 200 people. And in her original con- uh, configuration, the uh, the vessel carried uh, 2,500 passengers. I mean, it was only a very short run across. It was mm. only a, an hour and a half, something yeah. like that. And so we had to provide uh, living and sleeping accommodation for 450 people. So that uh, intermediate deck gave us 450. Then we worked on the rest of the ship. Uh, and on the train deck itself, uh, that's where we put the hospital in there with the uh, operating theatre and uh, ancillary equipment on the starboard side, on the port side, the 80-bed hospital. We have schools on board. We, have, uh, we take children from creche um, um, through to uh, university entrance, mm-hmm. and that's staffed by volunteers. But that's for the the uh, staff and crew of the ship. We don't oh, okay. bring outside people in. Although Hazel will tell you that uh, we send teams out for education off the mm. ship. Hazel, if we can just pick up on that, Alan is saying that care for the children on board is for the volunteers who actually work. How do you set up schools for the people, for the patients, for want of a better word? How do you, How does the organisation go around helping them ashore do they go and and set up schools and and have volunteers to go and teach these children ashore no that's not uh, the sort of thing we do actually Um, the children that Alan's speaking about are the children of the volunteers Mm. and they have to be schooled of course yes so we have about 50 children on board Mm. and uh, so that they're looked after but no we don't do any schooling ashore Mm. do you you set up sort of any sorts of clinics and teach them how to look after themselves once they come out of the, the ship itself? Iris, every day uh, we have crew teams that go out from the ship mm. and there'll be a healthcare team will go out and they will teach the local women how to better care for their children, mm. um, provide how they can provide a better diet for them 
basic uh, hygiene that we take for granted. Mm. Uh, so they teach the women uh, those kind of skills. They uh, also have teams that go out into the areas. They have a team that will do dental work. Another team will do optical work. Uh, another team will do community development, building schools, mm. clinics, uh, churches. Uh, because these countries have been devastated, that all has to be uh, rebuilt. Right, so it starts right from the ground, literally from the ground up for all of these things. That's right. Yeah. And we have, wherever we work, we have the local people working with us. Mm. And they, we also have translators everywhere mm. with us. But having the local people work with us, it means that they actually own the project. It's not like going in and doing something for them and saying, here you are, aren't you lucky? Mm. It, you have them working beside you and they are owning the project. So fortunately or hopefully they will look after it after the ship leaves. I guess like people everywhere, if they're in, included in setting it up and being responsible for it, it's much easier for them to continue on. Yes, uh, actually we were over on the ship last year, last April, in Monrovia and we went out to one project where the community development team were working. They were rebuilding one clinic. Mm. The other clinic had been completely demolished and they had to start from scratch laying the concrete floor for that one. Mm. But they had three teams three, uh, from different villages working together with them and those people had never worked together before. But they realised that this clinic was for the three villages mm. and so they had teams from the three villages working beside them. So that was uh, quite wonderful to happen, yes. particularly yeah. as uh, we're Christian and most of them were Muslims working together. That sounds wonderful. That's great. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols and today I'm talking with Hazel and Alan Budd from Mercy Ships. Hazel, we've talked about the hospital and and the wards where do you get your medical staff from 90% uh, of mercy shippers are volunteers we pay our way to and from the ship mm. while we're on the ship to work we pay crew fees to cover our board and lodging oh okay now that is the only way mm. that mercy ships can operate mm. because we have no government support and we rely on donations from the general public and from corporations to give us the funds mm. we need mm. to work there. So the, everyone, that means not, uh, doctors, nurses, everyone, volunteers, paying their own way. So they've begun 12 months out of their, out of their normal working life to be on a ship? Oh, it depends. Uh, medical people usually go for a month but other people will go for shorter times or longer times. Oh, okay. We have one doctor, Dr Gary Parker, who is our, our head maxillofacial surgeon, and he went to the ship for three months. He asked his church if they'd support him for three months while he went and mm. had a look at it. He's there 26 years later, <laughs> and when we spoke to him on the ship last year, I said, is your church still supporting you after 26 years? He said, yes, they are. But meantime, of course, he's married and has children, grown-up children. Yeah. So it's really wonderful. But uh, you'll find that most of the volunteers will be supported by their churches, their families and their friends. So they'll have a big support group, mm. which will enable them to stay on the ship for quite a long time. 
And I guess as far as the medical staff are concerned, it's good experience for them because they come across perhaps some conditions that they wouldn't find here in Australia or, or England simply because of the conditions that the people live in. Yes, that's right. But our surgeons are all specialists and they only work in those fields. So um, when we have uh, maxillofacial operations, Gary is the one who will do those. But if they have other, like thyroid operations, they will have a, a time mm. when they'll do those and they'll have a specialist who will oh, do okay. those operations. Or yeah. uh, We don't do heart operations. Mm. Uh, mainly our operations are for facial disfigurements, uh, mm. cleft lips and palates, huge tumours, uh, enormous tumours that you would never ever see here, uh, club feet, again the, with the club feet and the cleft lips and palates they're found at birth, the paediatric people mm. will pick those things up but in these countries they've got no help at all, they don't have a doctor they can go to, they don't even have antibiotics. Mm. And so something that starts to grow, and it could be something simple like a, an infection from an earring mm. and no antibiotics, something starts to grow and it will continue to grow like a keloid scar on top of itself. You have these, it uh, could be like a mouth, an abscess tooth gets out mm. of control and it can form a, a cancer, a tumour that will grow out of the mouth. You see these mm. humongous tumours that you know, we would never see because we have that early intervention. We can go to our doctors who will send us to a specialist, to a hospital, and these mm. things can be corrected. One case I'd like to tell you about mm. is Felicia. And Felicia was 18 when she developed a disease called Noma, which is quite common in Africa, melting disease, and it just eats away the skin, mostly around the nose and around the, the mouth areas. Mm. So Felicia at 18 was left with no nose and she lived like that for 40 years with just this black space where her nose should have been. She was able to come onto the ship and have the operation mm. and the specialist uh, took a flap from the top of her forehead mm. and brought it down and formed a nose for her. And afterwards she looked at herself in the mirror and she said, I am beautiful. Isn't that wonderful? By then she was like 58 years yeah. of age. Could yeah. you imagine going 40 years without a nose? It's something that most of us can't even begin no. to imagine. No. Reading through the information that you sent to me, I gather that there's a great deal of help needed for the girls when they have their babies through their pregnancies and their deliveries and, and looking after the newborn. Do you have a team of midwives obstetrician and gynaecologist who go over you know on a session and uh, no we don't have that but i think you might be referring to the vvf operations the vesicovaginal fistula mm. operations yeah. uh, they do some of those on the ship it's wonderful that's a, it's a very successful operation that they mm. do it's women who've had problems in childbirth generally because they don't have any uh, one to help them when they have yeah. their babies and so they might go into prolonged labour and obstructed labour and mm. so they'll be torn and they leak urine, sometimes mm. faeces. And nobody wants them around. The baby, of course, is stillborn. Mm. And no one wants them around and they just have to sort of go away, move away out and try and eke out a living for themselves. But 
with this operation they can be repaired and they can go back to their villages and start a new life. Mm. And when, the, when they are dry, they are given a, a new dress, a new headdress, and they do a little dance and sing, and you know, they're so happy to Isn't be able to wonderful. go back into their villages. Mm. But the other thing is in Sierra Leone, in uh, Aberdeen, they have built a clinic for that operation. So now the operations go mm. ahead in the clinic without uh, the ship being there. We take all these things for granted here, that the majority of, of girls will go and get help for during their pregnancies just to keep an eye on them, make sure everything is going well. That Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine just how difficult it is for these girls. As you say, there's no one to help them, no one to look after them. You know, life must be really difficult all the way round, from the time that before the babies are born until they're, they're old people and die. There must be a great deal of satisfaction for the people who work out there for the mercy ships. I would imagine that even if they have to worry about where the next penny's coming from, maybe, but the sense of achievement must be absolutely huge. Yes, it's worth paying your way to and from the ship and paying to be on the ship and working. <laughs> People find that it is so rewarding hmm. that they do it, and that's why they stay so long. Uh, we have one nurse here in Newcastle uh, who went for three months the first time, and then she went for two years. Uh, she's back here now, but she's, she'll be going again. Hazel, as a result of this program and people listening, if they wanted to make personal donations, is that possible? Or do, do they need to go through Rotary or, or whoever? Can they make personal donations? Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, you can make a donation by going to our website, www.mercyships.org.au, and make a donation online. Mm. Uh, you can phone our national office in uh, Caloundra, or you can phone phone and talk to me on four nine four three double two three five, and I'll point you in the right direction. I'll even take your money. You can, <laughs> you can send it to me and I will bank it for Mercy Ships. So we have a bank account here in Newcastle right, for Mercy okay. Ships. So we have a post office box at 688 Newcastle, 2300. Now the phone number for you, for those people who will be out of the area, it's 02, 02. is, the, is mm. the code. So mm. it's 02 49 42235. That's that, right, yes. And it's au if mm. people want to look, mm. look it up. That sounds absolutely wonderful. I can't thank you enough for coming in and, and telling us just about the achievements. Most of, of the people I've been talking to recently, when I knew you were coming on the program, had never even heard of Mercy Ships. So let's hope that as a result of, of all of this, that a few more people hear about you perhaps may even donate their services at some stage along the way. So thank you both, Hazel and Alan Budd, for coming in today. Thank, thank you, you, Iris. I hope you've enjoyed today's programme, and until the next time we meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of the team wishing you well. <laughs>